Let's go. All right. Welcome to the Real Conversations podcast. I am your host, Kelly Scar, and today we've got my friend Nolan Mathias from Mortgage360, Calgary Mortgage Broker. As always, I'm going to go through the bio and then we're going to jump into the conversation. So, Nolan Mathias is the chief innovator and co-founder of Mortgage360, North America's first B Corp certified mortgage brokerage. And we're going to get into that conversation to find out just what the hell that's all about. With an acute business sense and strategic understanding of mortgages, Nolan has become one of Canada's mortgage, Canada's mortgage industry's brightest stars through a processed and thorough approach. He helps his clients successfully pick the right mortgage to meet their financial needs. Nolan has the unique privilege of being the youngest mortgage associate ever invited to join Mortgage Architects as a lead planner and honor only bestowed upon the most successful and well-respected mortgage brokers in Canada. That is the shortened version of the bio. Legitimately old bio. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> of a legitimately old bio. I love yeah, it. Yeah, legitimately old and, and I just kind of pieced it all together as well. So nice. um, welcome to the show, my friend. Cheers. Cheers. It is an afternoon podcast. I shot an earlier one in the morning. So nice. opportunity to have a beer with a buddy and, and sit down and shoot the shit. I'm sure glad I get to be the afternoon one and get to have a drink. Yeah, absolutely, man. So we had actually a long conversation before we fired this up. Um, and, you know, typically what I do is I jump into people's past. Uh, and then kind of talk about the journey and like what, what's happening right now and that kind of thing. And I guess this is kind of jumping into the past. You had told me, uh, you were telling me a story um, about how you had told a professor in university to fuck off. And this kind of <laughs> led you into this business that you're in, right? So maybe let's start there. Yeah, so clearly an adult show. I love it. I'm going to get the bourbon out in a little bit here. Yeah, 100%, uh, man. Yeah, and how I became a mortgage broker is like the, the most ridiculous story. I was going to University of Calgary and taking an economics degree. Always thought I was going to be an investment banker. And I'm sitting in an economics class with, uh, with a professor who's known for his antics. Like he's known to be a little bit crazy. And it's Tuesday morning. And it's just after 2001, after the dot-com uh, bubble crash. And, uh, and just before 9-11. And I, kinda, and I asked uh, Professor Dr. Atkins, so what what do you think is going to happen in the economy? And like this is this isn't a question I found out. You don't ask an economics professor because you're supposed to be able to to learn how to make these predictions on your own. And you know he he looks at me with this like strange look, and he goes, "What's going to happen in the economy?" He goes, "Look out the fucking window," and he's okay. I instantly, like kind of clamshell and and don't want to really say anything in response, but. About 10 minutes go by and, and for those who know me, you know that, you know, somebody, for, for somebody to say something like that to me, it, it's, I got to say something back. So <laughs> 10 minutes go by and I, I raise my hand again and he goes, what do you want? And, you know, for anybody who's been in a university lecture theater, you know, they all have one thing in common. They don't have windows. So I raise my hand and say, what fucking window? <laughs> Apparently it was okay for me to, uh, for him to swear at me, but not for me to swear at him. And he looks back at me and he just goes, get the fuck out. And literally, like, those were his words. And I picked up all my stuff and tail between my legs and leave the classroom. So the next class, which was Thursday, two days later, I roll in, sit down. And he walks in the class and, and looks at me. And he goes, oh, you fucking came back. <laughs> and I go, yep, I came back. He goes, listen, I'm going to answer your question. He goes, if you want to know what's going to happen in the economy, you got to go and become part of the economy. And he goes, what do you do right now? And I go, well, I'm a student. He goes, no, no. How do you make money to afford to be a student? Like, are you, are you getting paid by your parents to come to come to class or do you have a job? And I go, well, I have a job. He goes, what is it? I go, well, I sell golf clubs. 
He goes, okay, so you need to stop that right now. He goes, if you want to know what's going to happen in the economy, you need to become part of the economy, like the real economy in his mind. And mm-hmm. he says, you know, go get a job in finance right now and then come back and tell me what you think is going to happen in the economy. So at the time, uh, there was two ways that you could easily be, get into finance. The one first is you could go and, uh, go and apply at TD Canada Trust. I guess it's TD Bank now. And they pretty much hire anybody with half a university degree because they were basically hiring them to groom them into management positions. So you could go and get a part-time job there and then effectively work your way into a full-time job after university, which I'd rather put a campfire out with my face than go and do that and work as a teller. Uh, So we didn't do that. But the other option was you could go become a mortgage broker. So I went down to Mount Royal College, it's university now, but college at the time. and, And I picked up the mortgage broker books and over the course of a weekend, I read them. And then on, on Monday, I went and wrote the mortgage brokers course, challenged it and passed. And all of a sudden at, you know, 20, let's call it 20 years old, I'm helping people make the biggest financial decisions of their life because I was able to go and pick up some books and write a, and write a test. Uh, right. but literally, the reason why I became a mortgage broker was because of that conversation. And what that led to was, you know, going through university, I... I started doing the odd mortgage here and there and near the end of university, it was, it was becoming a real thing with a real full-time income. And what I realized was I really loved helping people make those financial decisions properly and found that that was truly my calling and a way better option than going and working in an investment bank and working for, you know, uh, you know, faceless organizations and just, you know, working 80 to 90 hour weeks in order to even get a, even get a start. Right. So, wow. I, you know, I've known you for Jesus. I don't even know how long and I've never heard that story. Really? Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. Amazing. Amazing. So it was basically a, a, an F bomb type conversation with a, Mm -hmm. with a university, a professor that kind of forced you into the economy. Mm -hmm. Um, So you were selling golf clubs before that. Were you like, were they custom golf clubs or they, were you working at sport check? What was that? Yeah, I was, uh, I was working at a, there was two companies. There was uh, Golf Plus and Golf Depot. Golf Depot was the latter. That was where I was working when uh, when I was told to, you know, look out the window. But prior to that, I worked for a guy named Darcy Reynolds, who owned a, a shop called Golf Plus, which at the time was you know, Calgary's probably most uh, most boutique and most uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It was just like this amazing environment where Darcy Reynolds knew every client's name and cared about every single client. And, you know, he, he saw it as more than just golf clubs. He saw it as a mechanic, a social mechanism for his clients and a, and a, a, a health mechanism. And it was just like this amazing world, it, small little shop world that uh, where, you know, so many people collided and it was amazing the people that would come in uh, that you knew and had no idea shopped exclusively at golf plus. And he was actually where I learned how to sell. And, and when I say learned how to sell, what I learned how to do was have somebody walk through the door, say, hey, how's it going? Anything I can help you find? And of course, the first response when you ask anybody who's shopping, if there's anything you can help them find is they say no, but they're obviously there for something. Yeah. So, you know, you'd kind of watch where they go and then you'd see what they pick up and, you know, you'd say, hey, oh, you're looking at the new TaylorMade driver. And they'd say, yeah, I heard about it. And then you start talking about their golf game and asking them questions. And, you know, do you slice it? Do you hook it? Um, where do you play most of the time? You know, right. do you find you hit the ball too low, too high? And then we get them in the net and we'd 
see them swing and we'd see what sort of adjustments they needed made. And really what we were doing was we were building custom solutions based on the questions we were asking. And coincidentally, that's exactly what we do now with mortgages. We, I just right. learned how to do it by selling golf clubs. Man, you already answered my question. <laughs> I, you know, I just, I, it was just, I was going to offer an observation mostly in, in that um, it just, it, what you were describing, the, the experience that you had in selling golf clubs was exactly the experience that you guys offer with your company, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it's, it's very interesting yeah. that, um, that, you know, you guys are offering, or back then you were offering custom solutions for a client's golf game. And now you're offering custom solutions to, you know, help people enjoy, um, you know, wealth, right. Or help them build wealth through the right mortgages and whatnot. Yeah. You know, this is, I learned something from you a long time ago and it was, um, you know, with respect to mortgages and, and how to, how to talk to people about this stuff and that it's not always about the lowest rate, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the lowest rate could mean the worst terms. Um, and that's, that's a, that's something that I learned from you a long time ago. Um, you know, and, and, and having those conversations with a client, I, I always bring that up. Like, don't always just go for the, it's not always about the cost, right? Sometimes it actually, it, it matters about what's, what's in the contract. So, yeah. you know, you want to go with somebody that's going to look out for you and, and have that kind of top of mind. Yeah. It's just like anything else, right? Like usually lowest price is a trap. It, unless you're buying flour at the grocery store and you're looking at the exact same product in, in two different stores, it's, it's usually a trap to go with the lowest price. And, you know, I think about, I always think about cars this way, you know, you, you go and you look at used cars on auto trader and you'll see the virtually identical car and one is priced $5,000 lower than the other one. And, you know, you, you start to do your research and you go, okay, well, actually it's, it's got all the same features or maybe it doesn't have the same features, but it's got, you know, 50,000 more kilometers or you pull the Carfax right. and it's been in an accident and it's, uh, and yes. it's been written off or, you know, it's, it's price is the number one trap in any sort of buying process. And yes. what it, same thing for realtors, right? Like if, yeah. if you, if you look at the real estate companies that, that have, you know, 1% fee or 2% fee, if you want to not get your house sold, that's the trap because you wanted to pay less in commission. And therefore, you know, you, you brought in a realtor who did nothing for you, did, yes. you know, just put it on the, on the market at the price that you said. And as a result, you know, you chase a market down by doing price reductions and you never, you never meet that price line and you end up selling the house for $50,000 less than you would have had you just paid $15,000 for, for a realtor, right? So it's like yes, yeah. price, price is the biggest trap that consumers face on a daily basis and they have no idea, but they know it's the thing they're supposed to chase. Yeah. I went through that, that whole process. I, I got rid of my truck um, late last year and it was, I was in an accident back in February of last year, about a year ago. And uh, I, the truck just never felt like it drove right um, after that. Right. And I uh, decided to, to get rid of it and was looking around to trying to decide what I was going to go with. I, was it an MDX? Was I going to go back to a Lexus? Uh, RX, I used to have an RX 350. Was I going to go to go to a car like hybrid? I was looking at Tesla. I was like, okay, Tesla is like a little bit out of my price range, but um, you know, I finally settled on the RX 350 and I, and I settled on a vehicle that had 110,000 kilometers on it. That was only five years old. Um, there were other vehicles out there that had a dirty, a dirty Carfax, but were way cheaper with fewer kilometers. Right. 
And so exactly the, the same thing, right? I, I'm having come with a, like from a vehicle that had a, a dirty Carfax, I didn't want to get into another vehicle that had a dirty Carfax. So I was willing to pay just a little bit more um, for a vehicle, luxury vehicle that had a little bit higher kilometers than rather than going for something that was three or $4,000 less that had, you know, an accident or a claim or something on it. And, you know, 20,000 kilometers less. Right. So it's, it's funny. Speaking of accidents, I've got similar story, right? Well, not similar story right now, but I've got, I'm going through an insurance claim right now and literally just dropped the vehicle off at, uh, at the repair not your shop truck. last week. Yeah. It's all minor wow. stuff. It's just surface damage. Like I just, I wasn't, I ran into something myself. And so anyways, you know, we're in this kind of crazy social distancing time right now. And, right. and, you know, auto body shops are still, still open. By the way, I did the damage like six months ago and the damage was so minor that I just knew I'd get it fixed later. And this is the perfect time because I'm not using right. the vehicle. You didn't right? have time back then, but you got plenty of time now, right? Exactly. And I've got yeah, a summer yeah. vehicle so I can, I can drive that now and I don't have to worry about, you know, having the truck for the winter. And, you know, when I started looking at these places to get, to get the, the work done, I looked at the list that my insurance company gave me. And then I have a buddy who owns a shop and, you know, I feel horrible because I didn't use the buddy who owns the shop. But the reason I didn't use the buddy who owns his own shop is because I was actually concerned about whether or not the, the, that he would be able to make it through the crisis and keep the shop open. And so I went with the higher price option because he would have, mm. he offered to take care of part of my deductible for me and everything else. I went, but I went with a higher price option with a, a huge uh, <laughs> auto body company in Calgary here. And, and the reason why I did it was because I just wanted the security of knowing that the work was going to get done. And I don't have to worry about trying to fight to get my truck back. If the business goes under, well, lo and right. behold, guess what? You know, four days after I, I sent my truck in, my buddy had to shut his shop down because he just <sighs> doesn't have enough business right now. So, Right. You know, it's, it's prices that trap. And that is the last thing you assess when you're going through a buying process. Yeah. And it's, it's the same thing in real estate too. I don't want to beat a dead horse here at this point, but um, yeah, I, you know, you, you've, you said a lot of interesting things. So I want to kind of fast forward a little bit into uh, you know, into your journey. So golf club salesman, right. Uh, in university doing mortgages while you're in university, man, that's commendable. Like you got a heavy course load and you're doing mortgages. So, you know, I know you're, you're a bit of a, you got a very, I wouldn't say you're a workaholic, but I'd say you have very strong <laughs> work ethic. Right. Um, and, and I know that you easily probably easily pulled that off. So what happened after university then that like you, you obviously kept your license and you continue to sell mortgages, obviously. So what happened after university? Yeah. So after university, you know, basically right out of university, I went into, I got recruited by a mortgage brokerage to be a salesperson for them to manage a relationship with a real estate company. And then that was basically January because I actually finished my course load uh, work about six months before I needed to or four months before I needed to. So I ended up going in and, you know, taking this job. And then about, that's January, it, at the end of February, uh, a company called Phylogics, who does all the technology in the industry, basically recruited me to come in, you know, help them convert the three legacy mortgage brokers uh, technology systems into one, which is what uh, most brokers in the country use now. And what was interesting about that was I worked for that company for a year. And my job was to go around the province. Actually, it was what it was the prairies as well, but mostly Alberta. 
and go into all the mortgage brokers offices and say, okay, here's the deal. You, you are on one of three old systems. We're only supporting till the end of the year and we need to convert you to the new ones. And of course, everybody was pissed off because the system didn't work really well that we were switching them to, but we were basically saying, Hey, you have no option. Uh, right. And what got really interesting was I had to go in and sit with a lot of these older mortgage brokers and say, okay, how do you run your business? Show me what you're doing on old system. And I'm going to convert that to new system for you and teach you how to use the new system and try to stay within the workflow that you've you know, already established over the last 15 or 20 years. Right. And what was really cool about it was I got to learn how all the best mortgage brokers in the business were, were doing their, were doing their deals. And subsequently, you know, we, myself and, uh, and the gentleman I worked with in Western Canada, we were the first, uh, first two in the country to convert our entire uh, databases over from legacy systems to the new systems. And therefore at the end of it, I'm sitting there going, well, now you guys are paying me to basically do nothing. And I just kind of saw the writing on the wall. I, I went, you know, there's not a long-term future here, but I've, I've spent all this time gathering all the information about what people do, what successful people do. Why don't I just write that all down and then see if I can go and do it myself. So right. uh, it was about, about my birthday the following year where I gave my notice and, and then said, okay, here's the parameters of what I have to do in order to be successful as a mortgage broker. And if I can do this over the next nine months, I know that I'll be able to do this continually. And I think I hit the targets in the first three months, which was, which was incredible. And, you know, basically gave me the confidence to know that I could, I could do this. Now we've got this incredible mortgage company 17 years later that I don't think anybody does what we do. Right. Mm -hmm. Man, it, it's, it, it's incredible to me. You know, we've got a lot, we've, I'm, I'm, I have a feeling I'm going to have a, a decent audience on this podcast. You know, you're like, mm -hmm. uh, like one of three podcasts that I've shot so far. So nice. you're like one of the first three, right? So I, you know, we had a pretty good audience on the last podcast that I did. And, and, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of listeners out there that are, you know, younger agents or relatively new in the business. Like walk me through how in the hell you were able to generate business at 20 years old when you probably didn't even own a condo or a house or a townhouse. Like you were probably still fucking renting yeah. for Christ's sake. Right. So how did you do it, man? Like, how did you, how were you able to build that business? How did you leverage your contacts, your, your, your network? Like, how were you able to turn out some mortgages for people that like clearly didn't know you? Cause I'm assuming your sphere of influence, all university students didn't come for trust funds that were looking to buy, you know, their first property at four or 500 grand back then. Right. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. I think most of my clients ended up being, you know, baby boomers. Now they're 20 years younger then, but most of them were baby boomers at the time. And, you know, there's one thing that always stood out to me during that time. And that was mortgage brokers at the time hated realtors. They would, and there's still this, there's still this section of mortgage brokers now who are like, I don't want to deal with a realtor. I want nothing to do with them. And that's not us at all. We built our entire business off realtors. And the reason right. why was because it, it became really clear to me early on that, you know, if we were going to spend our time where we should be spending it or where I should be spending. I say we, because my wife's a mortgage broker, you know that. Right. Um, so now it's a, we, not an I, but right. I basically looked at it and said, okay, if I'm going to be a mortgage broker, I want to do this in the most efficient way possible because contrary to popular belief, I'm not a super hard worker. I'm actually a really efficient worker <laughs> and I like to do things that are highly productive. So I don't have to work all the time. And what I figured out was, okay, 
the best way for me to do that is to to go and find realtors. So I actually had a relationship with uh, with a real estate company at the time. I actually went to them before I gave my notice at the technology company. And I said, this is what I'm thinking about doing, but I'd like your advice. And right. I didn't, I did that partially to get their advice, but I did that mostly to engage them and to make them a part of the decision-making process so that they had a vested interest in me being successful. And before I could even left the room that day, they said, why don't you come and work in house with us? And of course I said, well, you know, I was, it was 2006. So I was 23 at the time. I said, well, I don't have the, I don't have the ability to pay you guys for, for an office and pay you guys a, a referral fee on everything. Like I just don't have, I'm, I'm too new. And they said, you know what, we'll figure that out later. Don't worry about it. And sure enough, uh, they, they allowed me to come in and basically work for free because they were acting as my mentors. Right. And basically I got two pieces of advice from them. The two pieces of advice were call them, call the realtors, call the clients before they call you. So in other words, like if you were sitting there thinking that somebody's going to call you and ask you a question about what's going on, you need to get on the phone with them before they have the chance to call you. Right. That was huge. And then the second thing was, you know, don't sit in the office, come and be, come and be in the bullpen where the realtors are. Like just be where the traffic is and be when the traffic is. And what I figured out early on was I figured out that realtors would show up on Friday afternoon into Friday evening, and they would start pulling MLS listings to go and show their clients. Because at the time you, you could kind of search online, but you kind of couldn't. So clients were really relying on their realtors for that. So real, there'd be a dozen realtors in the office at 6 PM on a Friday night, and they'd be pulling all their listings for the next day that or all their showings for the next day so that they could go and see. So all I had to do was be in the office and say, Hey, how's it going? And they'd be great. And what are you up to? Oh, I'm just booking showings. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, if there's anything I can help you with on those clients, let me know. And I, that was it. That was the whole sales pitch. It was just an offer for help. And then sure enough, Saturday would roll around and, you know, Oh, Hey, it's, it's, it's Dave from the office. Uh, client can't get a hold of their mortgage broker right now. Do you think you can run some numbers for us? Fucking Dave. Sure, no Dave problem. is so awesome. Dave is Dave, just the best, Bob. isn't he? Yeah, all of them. They <laughs> Bob or Sally, Cheryl. But Karen. it was pretty much guaranteed. If I was there and there on Friday night, I'd get a phone call on Saturday. And, wow. you know, so basically like my Friday nights looked like this. I'd, I'd go into the office at 3 p.m. I'd basically be there till 9 p.m. And then I'd go and uh, change my clothes into the clothes I was going to wear to the club that night. And I'd head out to the bar and you know, next morning I get up about noon and I'd roll back into the office at, for about 3 p.m. and I'd do the same thing on Saturday. And uh, by Monday I'd have two or three deals in the pipe. Right. You yep. can pay for that bar tab that you ran up all weekend long. Yep. Yeah, yep. Mr. Bar Star. That's awesome, yep. man. <laughs> so you're 23, 24 years old. You're making bank. You're doing well. Um, where does the concept for Mortgage 360 come in? Uh, concept for Mortgage 360 has been an evolution, but you know, I, I read something. I, I, I can't remember if I read it or I listened. Actually, you know what it was? I listened to it. You, you did a presentation for a bunch of realtors and posted it up onto your YouTube channel. And, and we'll, we'll, don't worry, we'll let you know where you can find Nolan and connect with him and the books that he's written and stuff like that. We'll mm -hmm. get to all that stuff too. Um, but you had, did this, you had done this presentation for, I don't know who it was for, but um, I know Carlin was in the room because uh, you mentioned him, but yeah. uh, it was, it was this presentation that you said that you had never done before. And it was, you were, you were talking about how 
you were, you took a course, you read the book, start with why. Um, and then you took Simon Sinek's course and you came up with your why statement and you're mm -hmm. like, this looks really familiar. Mm -hmm. And then you went through a bunch of journals that you had and you mm -hmm. found the journal that basically you had written a decade earlier, some, some of that, yep. somewhere on that timeline. And you found this why, basically this why statement, it, you had been operating from that perspective for mm -hmm. a decade. Mm -hmm. I, I thought that was just so interesting. Yeah. So you're talking about the, the profit first uh, seminar we did. Right. Carlin was, was definitely in the room for that. That was back, back on March 10th. Yeah. And, and the story, the story there is I actually lost my way for a while. And back in 2012, I got completely burned out on doing mortgages because there's, there's a point where it just becomes like another deal, another transaction and you right. get tired. You lose, the, you, you lose the human, uh, the human element to the business, right? You, yep. you start to look at people as just another number instead of an actual human being with a life. Exactly. And yeah. what ended up happening was I went for lunch with a guy named James Bocher who owns Fiasco Gelato, which is an amazing Calgary uh, success story. And I, he goes, you, you got to go read, start with why. So I go read, start with why, read it, pick it up at like one o'clock that, that afternoon uh, read it right through till 9 p.m. And then I go and I, uh, and I buy Simon Sinek's $150 develop your why course. And which is right. kind of ironic because I already kind of knew what my why was. I just lost track of it right. and, you know, develop this beautiful why statement, which is to inspire people to thrive and give, which right. is my why it's, it's our company's why it's my why that's, that's why I get up in the morning right now. That's why I do things like have these conversations. Right. And, and basically what I do is I go back and I, I find this old journal, like you said, and it had a mission statement was, which was to help people succeed financially beyond so they can give back beyond what they ever thought possible. This is when I thought I was going to be an investment banker or be a, uh, or, or be a stockbroker. Right. Right. And that whole, that whole thing ends up developing what ends up becoming mortgage 360 and, you know, the first B Corp in North America and all the stuff that we've done because once I took the focus off of just doing another deal and making more income, it turned into, um, it turned into being, you know, getting up every morning and actually having a purpose. And uh, that why has become so, so important in our business. I mean, there was a year where I went and ran a real estate company and almost bought the real estate company because I, I didn't know what the heck my why was. And I wanted to do right. something different than mortgages. And I figured out that, you know, that was for lack of a better description, just a really big adult daycare. And I didn't really ever want to do that. And, uh, and sometimes you just have to go through that process to figure that out. But, you know, that, that why statement has really allowed us to guide where the mortgage company goes as right. a result. So if you haven't, if anybody hasn't read Simon Sinek, start with why, and you aren't, and you're burnt out or frustrated right now, like, I'd start there. Yeah, I wouldn't even say if you're burnt out or frustrated. I would say, I mean, if you were doing business um, much like what we described, um, where you're looking at people as just another number and you weren't being proactive and picking up the phone and making those calls prior to the questions being asked, right? Maybe you've got to re-examine the way that you're running your business right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, shit, we've got lots of time to be able to do that, right? Sit yeah. down, figure out what, you know, where you're coming from. Not even that. I mean, you know, if you were doing five deals, 10 deals, 15 deals per year prior to this pandemic, this COVID-19 BS that's, that's going on, that's basically stopped our real estate market. Um, you know, you, I think that you should really rethink 
what you've been doing. Like, listen, like I've, I've had clients that I just found this out the other day. So I spend 30 minutes a day going through my database and just doing cleanup, right? All I'm doing is just updating, 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 making sure, you know, email addresses are there, anniversary dates, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I find this one property and I'm like, Hey, I remember these guys. So what I'm doing, I'm, all, I'm also cross-referencing with the MLS. So mm-hmm. I go into the MLS and I pull up their property and it's sold. Mm-hmm. It sold like three years ago, mm-hmm. four years ago, whatever it was. And I'm like, how in the hell did I not catch this then? Mm-hmm. Right. How did this slip by? That's the first thing. Like how did it slip by? slip by? And then I'm thinking to myself, well, hold on a second. This isn't the right way to think. Like, why did it, why did it slip by? Like, why didn't I get the listing? I sold them the house in 2012. They sold it in 2016, four years later. Why didn't I get the listing? Mm-hmm. Why did they list the property with the listing agent? Mm-hmm. Right. So then it's just, it becomes a bit of a self-examination and it's like, okay, well, let's go back to that time. Let's understand what it was that I was doing. Let's understand, was the database up to date? Was I doing the, the right follow-up? Was I following up as much as I possibly could have? The answer was on all of those questions was no, mm-hmm. right? Obviously I wasn't. So this is an opportunity now for me again to further what I'm going to be doing going on to the, into the future is making sure that I'm staying in contact with my past clients, staying in contact with my current clients and trying to answer those questions. So you know, I think it's, it's, this is a, a great opportunity for self-reflection and just, you know, reading books like that, that could be a catalyst for that mortgage broker, that agent to, to really rethink the business that they have currently and what they could have in the future. Yeah. You know, I think there's a, I, I think there's two things that come to mind as you're, as you're, you know, talking about, you know, rethinking and, and whatnot. And I think it's really important right now that as much as we have this opportunity to kind of retool our businesses that we aren't also taking a step back because most realtors, when they, when they lose a deal, when they miss a deal, most mortgage brokers, when they miss a deal and we miss deals all the time. But the reason why is because they just want work and flow with that client, right? They weren't right. there when that client needed yes. to make that change. And, you know, I think that's, that's a huge lesson right now is now is not the time to kind of sit on the sidelines and, and, and retool and then ignore the daily activities. Now is the time to increase the, the retooling activities, the reading the books and everything and whatnot, but also to reach out to everybody that you know and make sure that you aren't in that scenario where you're going to start missing deals because you aren't contacting them. Because what I can tell you as a mortgage broker, right, is we see the activity two to three months, on, at least on the upside or the, uh, not in like a crisis like this, but on the upside of what's going to happen two or three months down the road, we see it before you guys do. And right, right. now what we're seeing is we're seeing people who are sitting at home going, Oh, seems like a good idea to apply for or a t- good time to apply for a mortgage. So I'm going to yeah. go and fill out the mortgage application, get pre-approved so that I'm ready when the time comes to buy. Right? So we, we know unequivocally that we've got clients who are thinking about buying and that the activity on that is actually increasing from, from what we saw last year. Now, wow. Wow. Now we have to be careful with that because we're a growing company and we did some things last year that really set us apart from the competition. So we're on this growth trajectory and maybe it's just growth trajectory, or maybe it's that people are actually sitting at home going, Oh, I have time to fill out that mortgage application now and start looking at houses because I have nothing else to do. And if you're a realtor right now and you're sitting reading all the books, but you're not making all the phone calls, you're probably going to miss a bunch of deals. So I think it's just as important to reach to make sure you're contacting people right now as it is to actually retool. 
Right. So a lot of what we're doing is we're, we're dealing a lot with clients. We are reading a lot of books. Uh, we've got a two hour commute every day that's gone. So we can use that time more effectively. Mm -hmm. But the most important thing is to continue to reach out and talk to people. And I asked Don Tennyson from Ninja Selling a few years ago, actually, it was probably back in 2012, what they did when 2008 happened and, and how right. they survived in a US real estate market. He's from Fort Collins in Colorado. Yeah. And, uh, and his answer was profound. It was, we just told our people to start calling their people. Right. That's what we did. Like that was the strategy to get through the great recession was we told our right. people to call our people. And, yeah, that's and it wasn't, it wasn't, hey, do you, who, who do you know that wants to buy or sell in the next 30, 60, 90 days? It was like, hey, how's it going? Totally. Right? I'm here. Yeah. Right. I, yep. If you have questions, I'm here. Yep. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the same thing that I'm, I'm, I'm coaching agents on right now is, is, you know, just that, like, you know, don't be reaching out to your database that, you know, somebody that you sold a house to four or five years ago and having that 30, 60, 90 day conversation, mm -hmm. like you're reaching out to them and saying genuinely, like, how are you doing? Yep. Like, how's Absolutely. the family? How, like, are, are you guys happy? Are you healthy? You know, I know it's tough. You know, my wife hasn't left the house in a week. You know, she's going stir crazy. She hasn't showered for a couple of days, she's, you know, stinking up the house, you know, whatever, you know, have that conversation, have mm -hmm. some laughs, jump on a zoom chat with people. Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, this, this is like, you know, just starting back into podcasting and having these conversations, man, has done, you know, even though it's, it's only been a couple of days has done wonders for my mental health. Yeah. Like, you know, seriously, like, like having these interactions, mm -hmm. I miss this shit. I really miss it. Right. And so it's, it's tough when you are, when you're somebody that thrives on, on this type of interaction, it's difficult to be staying home and, and not having that interaction or just having that interaction, but limited to like three different people, mm -hmm. like a couple of 11 year olds and your wife. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's nice to have different conversations, different yeah. perspectives, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, if I, if I had to pick, and sorry, I, I know you want to, okay. yeah. if I had to pick something that, and we don't have, we don't have a bunch of employees anymore. And there's a reason for that. It's a, it's just an efficiency thing. We can actually help more people by not having them. But if, I think back to what I would tell them uh, if we still had, you know, 12 agents like we had previously. And what I would tell them right now is just ask yourself how you can make people smile right now. Like if you have a whole bunch of, if you have a database of 200 people, I'd look at every single name on that database and I'd go, how can I make them smile? And for some of them, it might be a text message. For some of them, it might be a video on a text message. For some, it might be a phone call. For some, it might be sending them cookies or sending them pizza or, you know, doing something nice. But I just go through and if you know your clients well enough, you can answer that question. How do I make them smile? And if you can make them smile during this scenario, you've, you've got clients for life. Brilliant. I love that. Absolutely love that. I think that's brilliant. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do want to jump into this whole, you know, uh, the cattle. What I want to talk to you about is the catalyst for this reduction in, um, you know, the number of agents that your company had and moving towards the B Corp. And I remember we, we were out at Fairmont, I think it was last summer. Uh, was it last summer? Yeah, it yeah. was last summer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we had a, a a bourbon beer uh, fueled mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, part of that, was around your your decision to go to a Darren Hardy event, and uh, you know I'll set mm -hmm. that up and let you knock that out of the park. Let's let's hear it. what happened there, man. Oh man, um, 
So for those that don't know, Darren Hardy is, Darren (laughs) Hardy was a real estate agent. Um, He is a business coach. He's an entrepreneur. He's got, you know, he's built companies, sold companies. He's written a couple of books. Uh, The book that I'm reading that he's written, uh, the one that I'm almost finished right now is called The Compound Effect. It is an absolutely fabulous read. Um, It's got some really actionable stuff. Um, If you're taking notes throughout the book, it's just, he lays it out step-by-step on how to really transform your life and your business. So if you haven't picked up the book, definitely go do that. Um, You know, obviously Nolan had had heard about and known about Darren Hardy long before I did um, and had an opportunity to go and pay a bunch of money to to go and be part of uh, Darren's inner circle. You don't have to disclose the amount, but I I know that you said it was money well spent at the time and I'm sure it it still is today. But yeah, give us a rundown as to what happened there and what what was it that prompted you to go in and, um, you know, pay that, pay those dollars to go to that event? Yeah. Uh, if you're wondering what I was doing, my bookcase is literally on the wall that I'm facing right now. So there's right. about 400 books that are, are right there. So I was looking to see if I could find other. Um, he's got two books, Entrepreneur, Entrepreneur Roller Coaster, which I think is like incredible from a business standpoint. And then Compound Effect, which is also incredible from a business standpoint, but also amazing from a, uh, from a personal improvement, like just making small improvements. I'm sitting here drinking uh drinking bourbon and drinking beer with my buddy but and yeah. thinking about like the primary example in his book is uh is you know if you drink a beer every single day for 365 days and your buddy doesn't guess who ends up fat at the end of the thing and it's like small right. incremental one beer a day right right uh, so i had a couple people that had gone down and and gone to high performance forum which is Darren Hardy's like insanely expensive business class. It's like taking a, it's like taking a, a MBA in, in a three day period and having it just right. all condensed and they throw out all the, all the shit and all the fluff and right. just like, here's the strategies that make the most sense. And the two people were at Marty Campbell, who's a Calgary realtor, who's amazing. And, uh, and the other guy is a guy named Gary Morris, who started a company called Dominion Lending Centers, which is the biggest national mortgage company in Canada and you know his competitors will argue that but his competitors own like four different brands Um, he owns three brands but his Dominion Lending Centers is the biggest and uh, and Darren's a guy who has been notorious in the industry from just like a going and recruiting people standpoint and most people not most anymore but a lot of people have a bad taste in their mouth from him and I basically ran away from the guy for seven years and then met him um met him and he invited me out to see darren in whistler and then i got to go down and see darren and high performance forum in in la jolla and my experience there was the very first night uh there's a vip thing because what i find about salespeople is like if you are a true salespeople and a true business builder if somebody says there's a vip opportunity you're like well i'm not going to go sit with the other people so i'm like yeah give me the vip and i'll uh and i'll pay an extra three thousand dollars for a dinner and a cocktail party sure why not and literally i walked in the door and the two guys i met first one is a guy named uh sid who is one of the biggest healthcare providers in um in florida and he had flown 10 people in on his private jet now i don't know how much people know about private jets but basically like starting starting dollar amount for a private jet is about four million dollars and then right. the cost goes up exponentially for each seat that you add wow. and he flew 10 people in on his jet which 
like the cost on that just 50 million bucks. Right. And he's telling me this, he brought his people in and he flew his people in, blah, blah, blah. I'm going, okay. So the guys, it turns out the guy's worth one and a half billion dollars and he's, and he's on the Forbes 500 list. Wow. And then the other guy is a guy from NISCU, north of Calgary, who sells yeah. valves. And think about this, okay? He sells valves in the oil industry. Yeah. And he started the company in 2014. And he's wow. a, got a $100 million valve company. So in a oil industry that's tanking, he's building a $100 million company. And these yeah. are the first two guys I meet. And as soon as I meet these guys, I'm like, okay, we're, it was totally worth the price of admission. <laughs> right there, the right there. It's like $15,000 US to go down there. And, um, and the guy from NISCU, who his name's slipping my mind right now, but I talk to him on a, on a quarterly basis. He goes, I go, he had brought five of his people down. And I go, like, you're bringing five people down. That's $100,000 that it's cost you to bring these people down here. And Sid's brought... 10 people down, he's at basically 200,000. Mm. And, and guy from Miski looks at me and he goes, it's free. And I'm like, immediately infuriated. I'm like, fuck you, you got the, why do you get to come for free and you're, you're paying all your people? Yeah. He goes, no, 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 no. no, no. I'm, I'm paying for them all, it's free. Right. He goes, cause I'm gonna get every penny back just by having them here and having them on the same page as me. Yeah. And that was like, that was like my mantra for the last year is anything we can do where it's hundred percent guaranteed that we're going to get our money back, we will do it because it's free. And I remember coming back from Darren Hardy's thing and you know, he gives you a whole bunch of strategies that, and it's stuff that's worked. He's every, literally everything is a case study. I, I should mention he was the founder or sorry, the editor of success magazine. So right. he's the guy who interviewed Oprah and Richard Branson and Tony Robbins and, mm-hmm. um, and Michael Jordan and all the most successful people in the world. Right. And he's giving us these practical things that we can do in our business. So I remember coming back home and I put a big whiteboard up on our, on our wall in our office and it had the words gift baskets written in black with a big circle with an X, like a no smoking sign. And basically the message was no more gift baskets. And the reason why the message was no more gift baskets is because it turns out that, you know, this is my opinion, but gift baskets are the junk drawers of gratitude, right? And every realtor does it. It's like, it's like oh, I'm going to give, I'm going to give away a gift basket. And it's like, you give them a gift basket full of basically, unless it's like highly, highly, highly customized to them, you're basically giving them a gift basket of shit, right? And I, and in the last year, we've probably got about 10 different gift baskets from different places. Mm-hmm. We actually look at them and we go through them and we go, okay, so we're definitely drinking the bottle of wine. We're going to have the brie, but the chocolate covered almonds and whatever the heck those crackers are, because like, I don't know what the deal with gift baskets is, but the crackers are always like the most cardboard tasting thing. Yeah. I've they're totally had. stale. How long have they been sitting on the shelf for? Like, like you might as well put saltines in it and you know, it's just completely impersonal. So that became the, the rally call for our company. The rally cry for our company was no more gift baskets, everything going forward had to be personal. If we don't know what the client likes, we do not send them anything and we failed at our job because we didn't figure out what they like. So we, we came back, I came back, no more gift baskets. Well now, okay, the challenge is how do I, how do I figure out what people like? You know, conversations are one thing, but how do I systematize it for 12 people? Right. By the way, we quickly re- realized that systematizing it for 12 people is if you have 12 people that don't give a shit, you need to get rid of the people that don't give a shit and right. we can get to that later. But 
basically I'm like, how do I systemize it? So we built this form at the beginning of our online application that was essentially a, a form that asks, you know, what you need in your mortgage, but then it asks, what's your favorite restaurant? What's your favorite brand or, or, or sorry, band or sports team? Uh, and then what do you like? And like the answers to what you like were, do you like candy? Do you like wine? Do you like bourbon? Do you like, um, I like tickets to Packers games, by gelato. the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you send me, you, we, we can talk about that. You send yeah. me I, I can, I can fund a trip to a Packers well, game. No problem. We'll go together, buddy. I've already got a place for us oh, to that's, stay. That's a given. That's yeah, a given. There you go. I already got a place for us to stay. So you buy the tickets and I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that we're staying where we need to stay. Amazing. Yeah. You're on. So yeah. what ends up happening is, you know, we build this form out and, immediately we have a whole bunch of preference for clients. Like I know who likes wine. I know who likes bourbon. Um, and I know what their favorite restaurants are and what <laughs> becomes really interesting is the restaurant becomes like the, the get out of jail free card for us. So it's like, if something goes wrong in the transaction and it will, it does every time, it doesn't matter how good of a job we do. There's always going to be something a, a home inspector might piss somebody off. A lawyer might piss somebody off. A lender might piss somebody off. A realtor might piss somebody off somebody's getting pissed off. There's going to be like that moment of tension in the process. And what we realized was we could use the, what's your favorite restaurant question in order to relieve the tension. It didn't right. matter if it was us that screwed up. We just wanted the tension gone because we wanted to be that, that step down transformer for them. So what we started doing was if, as soon as we sensed tension, we'd send them a gift card to their favorite restaurant and they'd call us and they'd go, Oh my God, how did you know? Well, they forgot that they had told us that what their favorite restaurant was, what they thought was happening was they thought they were answering security questions. You know how like the bank right. asks you, what's your mother's maiden name and where did you go to high school and who was your third boyfriend that you liked the best in, in junior, in junior high. Right. Right. And so they think they're answering those questions and they totally forget that they've told us what their favorite restaurant is. So we send them like $25 gift card to Bridget Park and they go, Oh my God, how did you know? It's like, well, you told us. And it was like, but I'm not telling them that I told them. I'm just saying, you know, oh, oh just a good guess. We figured you had good taste, right? right? And that became something that they would actually turn around to their friends and rave about. They're like, oh my God. And they sent us a gift card to our favorite restaurant. How did they know? Right. And meanwhile, we're going, yeah, cause you told us, but they're talking about it. And it turned out the more customized we got, the better the returns we got. And what, uh, what our metric is now is for every dollar we spend on gifting and giving, we get about $15 in return. Now put that against a Google ad or a Facebook ad, like I can't even get close. Yeah, not even remotely close. It'll cost you 15 to $20 just to, just to get that client potentially. Exactly. Right? So yeah, the ROI just isn't there. So um, you basically fired everybody, turned yourself into a B Corp, right? Yeah. <laughs> we turned ourselves so, into a B Corp first. First. Then okay. Realized so everybody didn't give a shit. And okay. So explain what a B Corp is. Like, let's go through yeah. that, go through the mindset process that, you know, tell me how you actually found what a B Corp was and why you decided that mortgage 360 was um, yeah. going to go in that direction. Totally. So a B Corp is a, is a group of companies international uh, international group of companies that are using business as a force for good. That's the right. most simple explanation of it. The more difficult explanation of it is you have to go through an audit process and out of a score of 200, you have to score at least 80 uh, in order to be certified as a B Corp 
and they measure things like accountability, transparency, which is an interesting one from a mortgage company's perspective, uh, and then social and environmental impact. And most of the B Corps that people know are companies like Patagonia. Patagonia is the biggest one. Uh, they are one of the most giving companies in the world. Companies like Fiasco Gelato, uh, Benevity, Tom Shoes is a B Corp. And they're all companies that just like, they just do good in their hoods, right? And how we found out about it was through Fiasco Gelato. And we actually put it off for about two or three years. But what we knew about our company was we wanted to be a company that used our, our we just wanted to be a company that did social good, right? Not because right. social good was a cool thing. In fact, I only learned the term social good about our social entrepreneurship about a year and a half ago. It turns out it's been a thing for like 10 or 15 years. Well, it just tied um, into your, it tied into your why statement. Yeah. It, right? it, it turns sense. out that it wasn't what we did. It was just who we were. Right. So, you know, James put me onto that. And then I mean, that's, that's, that's a profound statement. No, it really yeah. is. Like it, it's, it's not what you were about. It's who you were. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, yeah. you know, I talk about this a lot, a lot, you know, core values. What, what is your, what is it that drives you, right? Yep. What is it that, that gets you out of bed in the morning? And yep. that is, that's a huge statement, man. It's, it's not yep. what you're about. It's, it's who you are. If yep. this is who, who you are in, in inherently mm -hmm. in your business, like this is, and so, so think about it like this. We had this conversation earlier off camera as well, or off, off mic, I guess we were on camera, but off mic, mm -hmm. you know, if you're a douchebag running your business, you're going to get douchebag results. Totally. Right. If totally. you're a good person inherently, and all you want to do is social good, you are going to get good results. Absolutely. And you'll find the right people too. And that's what happened. We found the B Corp community. And as a result, we, we found the blueprint for how to run a social entrepreneurship organization, like an organization that is a company that does, that does good. And, um, Oh, little man, little, little girl, little lady, little lady, <laughs> <Yeah>. little lady. <laughs> little I was wondering, I was expecting my little guy to come running in during this. Yeah, I was, I was hoping that, uh, I, I don't know if, if the mic picked it up, I muted myself, but I called the house phone and said, bring me another beer. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> nice. Out there. Why not? I didn't pick yeah. it up. So yeah. anyways, what, it, what ended up happening was we found this, uh, this cool movement and it became our blueprint for how we do things. And we ended up scoring, I think our score is 97.3 out of 100? out of 200, 200. Okay. Most companies don't qualify. You have to be 80 to qualify. The average company like worldwide scores about a 50 and it's not, wow. it's not easy to, to score the 80. What was actually interesting was when we did our qualification, our, our score going into the audit was 83. And it was because we'd been really, really, uh, or I had been, you know, really hard on our company in order to make sure I didn't want to lose points because that's what people, you always hear about is people lose points and then they don't qualify. Right. So I went in as an 83, just being super conservative. And uh, the gal who did our audit said she'd never seen a company actually increase during the audit. And we ended up increasing to 97. And, wow. you know, it's all things about, you know, how transparent are we, what are our policies? And, um, and then one of the big things is we, we have it in our, in our bylaws that we our our business is designed to, uh, it's called mission lock. It's designed to put all stakeholders, um, or consider all stakeholders when we make decisions, not just shareholders. So that means right. clients, that means real estate partners. That means everyone, like we had a real we had a real estate uh, group approach us two weeks ago 
And, you know, we had this conversation in the past where the real estate group comes and says, Hey, do you want to pay us X amount of dollars in order to be a part of our group? And, you know, what they're really trying to do is get, get you to to pay for leads. At least that's what lead gen. Yeah. Or, and not all, I don't think this group is trying to get us to pay for all of it. I think it was a fair share thing, but, uh, but when we look at it, we go, okay, well, we have to consider all of our stakeholders. Well, all of our stakeholders is every single realtor that I deal with. So if I do it for them, but I don't do it for Kelly, right. who, you know, am I being fair to all my stakeholders? So B Corp basically created that absolute clarity for us in what we should be doing and how we should be doing it. Now we can just look to our, our why statement, our three core values, which are, we've got your back. We take awesome ser- seriously. And, uh, and the third one, I, I always forget one while I'm trying to think of them. Um, so we take awesome seriously. We've got your back and I'll think about it when it comes to me. Okay. There's only three and I can't remember. Right. Uh, but if we can't find the solution from our core values, then what we can do is we can look to B Corp and, you know, consider our stakeholders and whatnot. And it makes making decisions real easy. So we are able to go back to them and say, listen, wouldn't be fair and honest to everybody else. If we, if we did this for you, and and didn't do it for them so it's a no we'd love to do your business but that's just how we roll we're, we're fair and honest i remember that conversation in 2014 man i'll Maybe. never forget what you said to me because it took you went through one mortgage broker mm-hmm. and then another one and then the third time around we were in a we were in a limo going to the cir christmas party and you looked at me and you said you said you know what fuck it i just want to deal with who i like and then that was, that was it. That, that was, was the it. end of it. Yep. yep. I, and you know, we had, we had mortgage brokers that were, you know, we were following the blueprint, right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my team was, I, you know, I, I started solo agent, you know, uh, went to decided I was going to build this team, built everything off of online lead generation. Um, you know, we were doing over a hundred deals a year, I think was our best year. Uh, I was doing personally, I was carrying the team a lot. I was doing a lot of transactions, especially coming back to the company that I'm at now at CIR and looking back through all of the transactions that I did. It's like, holy shit, like the amount of deals that I was doing on my own back then. And then, you know, kind of fast forward in 2015, we're not going to get into that, but yeah, I mean, we, you know, we had those, we had those mortgage brokers and you know, the funny, the funny thing is, is that money, I guess this was one of the first lessons that I learned about business early on, especially in the team, on the team side of things is that money does funny things to people. Mm-hmm. It, it really does. Um, it's a trap. You know, w- w- yeah, it is mm-hmm. a trap. It is mm-hmm. absolutely a trap. You know, so we had, we had mortgage brokers that did, that were with us in 2013, uh, beginning half 2014 that had done, you know, six figures in, uh, in GCI, like uh, gross commission income. Mm-hmm. through us, through, through what they were, you know, through the leads that we were like, my team was, we had an agreement, like pretty much every deal that we were, that we were doing, they would be at the top of the list for, you know, referrals. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, the amount of money that they put in versus what they were pulling out was like, it was a three times return on investment. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't understand why they were coming to me saying they wanted a reduction in the amount that they were paying. Like mm-hmm. I just couldn't get it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, considering the ROI there. And so we just, we parted ways. Um, you know, I remember having a conversation with you and Jen in 
I think it was Joey Tomatoes years ago and, you know, having that conversation and, and, and then us just kind of floating around for a couple of months without anybody. And, and yeah, absolutely. It led to that, that one moment where I was like, fuck it. Like, I just, I want to do business with the people I want to do business yeah. with. And, and what, what matters most to me, especially now today, even back then, kind of this lesson has been, and some, you know, there's arguably, there's been, you know, a point in my life where I kind of forgot about some of this stuff. And, you know, I've already had that conversation, but um, you know, you, you, you do wind up wanting to do business with the people that make you feel good, that make your clients feel good, that you know, that are going to take care of your database, right? One of the coolest things about your guys's philosophy specifically, and this is, I think you can relate this to any business. It doesn't matter whether you're in real estate or mortgages, or if you're, you know, selling, you know, face masks right now, it doesn't really matter. If you're taking care of the people that are taking care of you, you're going to win hundred times over a hundred times, right? Absolutely. If, if you as a mortgage broker are taking care of my client when I can't, I'm going to win and mm -hmm. you're going to win at the same time. Absolutely. If, if myself as a realtor are taking care of the client and making sure that you're shown in the best light, you're going to win and I'm going to win at the same time. Absolutely. Right? Like, you know, I know that you guys have done this in the past. Like you had mentioned, you know, sending out a, a gift card for a restaurant when a deal is kind of going sideways. I know that you guys have, have actually sent out that gift card and said it was from the agent and not necessarily from you. We do, we do a moving kit, every single transaction, right? right? Like it is, it's everything that they don't realize they need when they're transitioning between two houses. It's a, it, there's a toolbox. Like Everyone has a toolbox, but this is a secondary toolbox with hammer and screwdriver because they're probably going to have it one at both properties for a day or two. And right. it's got hand sanitizer. It's got band-aids and the band-aids are like the number one thing that get used out of it because you will cut yourself moving shit. Right. And it's got toilet paper, which was a thing we, we did before toilet paper even became a thing. And that <laughs> always comes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> We've got so much toilet paper that we're good for the next 25 years because <laughs> of our clients, right? Which is sadly something we've stopped doing because I don't want to risk contaminating a client right now by giving them something that right. I can't control the entire, um, the entire um, process with. Right. But we always send that and it's from, you know, Kelly and Nolan. And then the realtors call and say, so I got to thank you from my clients for what I sent them, but I don't know what it was. But this is like straight out of Darren Hardy, probably added $50,000 to our bottom line. And literally at Darren Hardy, he said, this is what these mortgage people do in this state. And they always sign it from the realtor and from them. And it's added this much. Right. And I went, okay, well, that makes sense. So we go back, we, we do it, we set it all up and it worked it did exactly what it was supposed to do. So I spent $15,000 going to Darren Hardy. We now send these moving kit, kits every single time and it's put $50,000 back. It's, into my it's three X your investment. It's free. It yeah, was more than it's free, free, right? So yeah, it's like, three X your investment. So it's, it's just like doing smart things and finding and finding the people who know what works and then taking the ideas and implementing it. And the, my favorite thing is at first we didn't want to show realtors what we were doing. And now I'll take it to um, now I'll take it to like a conference where there's 200 realtors in the room. And I'll take the actual Money. kit and I'll yeah. throw it on the back table and and they'll start taking pictures of it. Right. And I'll have realtors that come up and say, "I'm going to steal that idea from you." And I go, "You know, it'd be a heck of a lot easier if you just sent us your mortgage clients because you're not going to do it." Right. <laughs> they kind of look at you like, "What?" About yeah. three months later, That's they're totally like, "Totally right." Yeah, you were right. I didn't have the time to go and do it because I know, like, I know the time it took our EA to put all the things together to 
to source all of our um, to source all of the product to actually right. find a way to make it look good. I know what the cost of it is, and you know when you put it together like this little gift of of things that people are actually going to need, and it turns out it costs you one hundred and fifty dollars to do it, but the things in the in the kit seem like they'd only be twenty five dollars like it turns people off real fast. So we just ended up becoming the service provider that does this next level thing, which is the, which is the moving kit on top of the mortgages. And, you know, to go back to what we were talking about with respect to mortgage brokers and paying for leads and all of that stuff, by the way, I, I firmly believe that that group's going to come back to us in a year and say, you know what, we just want to deal with the people that are going to do the best job. Cause what yeah. Jen always says is you have two options. You can deal with the people that pay you the most, or you can deal with the people that are going to take the best care of your clients. That's you right. decide. And most of the time they come back and they say, well, well, no, it's probably, I'd say it's actually probably about 50, 50, but half the time they make the wrong decision and about half the time they make the right decision. And right. usually the ones that make the wrong decision about half the time they come back a year later and, and say, you know what, I'd rather just deal with you guys because I know the job's getting done. So I've, I've gone through a, a couple of, um, there's been a, a couple of instances in my in my career, my 14 year uh, real estate career, where I've had to either exit from a situation or exit people from a situation. Um, neither of which are fun, right? They are always difficult decisions. They are always uh, decisions that keep you up at night. That uh, you're continually questioning whether you're doing the right thing or not. Um, take me through that process, man. How did you? you know, you, you go down to Darren Hardy, you come home, um, you know, you're really, you, you throw up no gift baskets on the whiteboard. And then you, then you start looking at the business and understanding that you've got a lot of people there, but there isn't like the productivity, the, the efficiency just isn't there. Like what was, what was the thought process coming home from that? And how did you wind up? Now this is really important. I want people to absolutely hear this you reduced the amount of you reduced the amount of people on your team and increased your profitability by thirty to forty percent. Yeah, so I'll give you the actual numbers and I'll get into what how we did it. The actual numbers are this: so we went from twelve people down to four people. We increased our revenues by forty percent. Wow! And I paid out one hundred fifty thousand dollars less in commission. Wow! So take the one hundred fifty thousand dollars that went in our pocket. And then increased our revenue by 40%. That goes in our pocket. Uh, if I had, like, think about this. And this is the first time I'm, I'm actually realizing this myself. If I had not done this, and we enter this whole pandemic thing right now, and I don't get rid of those people last year and refocus our business on being highly effective and productive, I probably can't make it through this time without going into bankruptcy right like that's the reality wow and the wow. reason why is this is a players will make you money every single time so i've got four people myself my wife jessica who does all of my deals who's been amazing who's amazing she's been with us for yep. i think seven years now and then our ea who's leone uh right. who's absolutely amazing like we we hired her when i came back from darren hardy and she's free She's put every single penny that we've paid her back yeah. into the, in the business twofold. And right. what, we've, what we learned is that B and C players will drag the A players down or they'll cause the A players to leave. 
Like, A players don't want to work with B and C players. Right. And there's nothing wrong with B and C players, but sometimes they're a B and C player where you are and they don't have the, uh, I love that you just cracked the beer underneath there and, yeah, uh, and try to do that. it. Like just try to on. do it. Not for the bourbon, like, right. You know, it's, or, it's not right. like there's going to be a lot of people watching this, but there's going to be, there might be a lot of people listening to it. So I'm trying to be as discreet as I can. Thank you for calling me out on that. I appreciate it. Dude. I, I hope there's a lot of people watching this because what you're doing with this sort of thing, the world, Another Darren Hardy thing right here. The world needs leaders right now. And what you're doing is, is huge for our world. So Thank you, uh, I hope I there's a heck of a lot man. of people uh, watching this. And I always love your candor and how, uh, and just how honest and real you are. So crack your beer. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I'm actually going to take a drink while you're talking. Nice. So B and C players, they'll cause your A players to leave or they'll drag them down. And sometimes B players or C players, sometimes they're A players. They're just in the wrong place. So once we realized that, you know, they weren't A players with us, but maybe they're A players somewhere else, that became our opportunity to set them free and give them the opportunity, opportunity to thrive elsewhere. And I think actually, when I look at the 12 people we had, I think there's at least three of them that are doing better in their new, new places than they were doing with us. Wow. And it was because we had this expectation that they were never going to live up to. And because our, our expectation is that our client experience is freaking exceptional. Right. And they didn't, they either didn't care enough or they weren't capable enough to live up to our standards. So we had to set them free. And they're probably, they're, there's nobody that's pro providing the experience that we're providing anywhere in, in North America. And, you know, they're not doing that where they are now, but what they're doing now allows them the freedom to actually serve their clients in the way they want to serve them. And that's probably going to be a better experience for their clients because they're not trying to fumble over what Jen and Nolan do and, and the expectations that we had. So that was the first piece. The second piece was, you know, just how much time does somebody take? And I genuinely believe that one of the money traps in real estate and mortgages is building a team both running it and working yeah. for it. I think you can work for a team and the, the only up. thing that's worse is a brokerage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I think we could speak from experience on that one. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and when I talk about our company, we are a brokerage, but we're a brokerage right. of four now. And I'll never forget Lindsay Smith saying to me, you know, you might as well play big. And then I'm like, okay, well let's hire eight people and let's go. And then realizing three years later that playing big means helping more people for me, not right. having more people. Yeah. So, you oh, know, man, that's all. Oh, I love that. That's a I good one. You say. Just said that. that really <laughs> is good. I'm going to make a note 3 58 PM. We're going to, all right. So I'm going to come back to this. I'm going to try to find it, man. Playing yep. big for you is just means, servicing more people, yep. right? Not, not growing the company yep. by, you know, uh, yep. you know, eight or 10 or 12 people playing big is just servicing more people for you, man. That's, that's and our numbers. And our numbers went up because we didn't have to help, you know, two or three mortgage brokers that really didn't care about our level of, of service because we didn't have them and we didn't have to help them anymore. We had time freed up to help our actual clients. Right. And it turns out that, you know, I can probably help <clears throat> 10 clients for, in an hour compared to the hour it's gonna take for me to teach a mortgage broker. And we still wanna teach mortgage brokers how to do things and 
and we want to have, we want to grow and we want to have more people with us, but they have to one, be exceptional two have the same values that we have. And three, they need to be willing to take our advice and, and run with it. And, you know, Jess right. has been that person for the last seven years. She's incredible. Uh, Leone is, is, she's getting her license right now. She is definitely one of those people. And the way I look at it now is really simple is if they can't earn a living wage working for my company, then I, they shouldn't be on my team or in my company. And if I can't guarantee them a living wage, then I shouldn't be hiring them. And or that's even the, better than a living wage. I mean, yeah. shit. Like, I mean, right now that, you know, we're in a very precarious time. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and you can't really guarantee anything, but mm -hmm. man, the metrics that, that you've got are very, very interesting to me. The fact that you've got so many people that are applying for mortgages right now, getting that rate hold. I mean, shit rates are so low right now. Like, you know, I, I messaged you here last week and I was like, Hey, you know, curious, should I lock in my mortgage right now? And you're like, no, ride it out. Variable, mm -hmm. you're on a variable? Yep, on a variable, like ride it out. That prompted me to go into my bank, into the back end to look to see what my interest rates are. Like on my principal residence, I'm at 1.35%. <laughs> Why the hell would I lock that shit in, man? The amount oh, of money that I'm sticking on my principal is sick. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely sick, right? Mm -hmm. So- and you're thinking yeah. about locking into 2.79. It's like, yeah, not, not oops. happening, not happening at all. Not I mean, on here's the thing. mortgages that we have. So it's, it's, that is just, this is not a real possibility at this point. No. And like, here's the thing. I'm an economist by education, right? So two years ago, no, not two years ago, literally last year with Scotiabank, we have two mortgages, one on rental, one on a, on our personal residence. And I'm looking at the variable and the fixed rates and, the fixed rate is like half a percent higher or sorry, the variable rates half a percent higher than the uh, fixed rate. And I'm talking to the guy from Scotiabank and he goes, you'd be crazy to take a variable right now. And I'm like, no, I'd be crazy. Well, crazy to take a fix. Cause if you're with a big bank and you've got a fixed rate mortgage, you've also got a massive penalty. There's no way around it. So I said, right. the guy, there's no way I'm taking a fixed rate mortgage with you. It's just not happening. Uh, give me two variable rate mortgages. And Jen can hear me. And she's sitting at the other end of the table and she goes, what are you doing? I'm like, don't worry. I'm like, just, you always have to look for the surprise. Yeah. And sure enough, this is the surprise. When the economy is going crazy, there's always going to be something that comes up and kicks us in the ass. And all you can do is be prepared for the thing that's going to kick you in the ass. So right. we took two variable rate mortgages and now we're paying, like we're not on the 1.35% program because I have big bank mortgages, but we're on, we're under 2%. And, you know, all of a sudden we're looking like geniuses for, for taking variable rates when the guy on the other end of the phone um, thought I was crazy. By the way, like you call Scotiabank and you say, I want, I know what the best rates are here. I want you to do this. And they start going on their negotiation thing. They completely ignored the fact that our email signatures, everything says we're, our profile says we're mortgage brokers. I can't imagine what it's like for like a normal person dealing with a bank on a renewal. Right. When we're having trouble with them and they know what we do for a living. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, variable rate just, it didn't make sense, but it made sense. And right now, you know, to lock in, I think would be crazy. It's going to get, it's going to take likely years for the economy to recover enough for interest rates to go up. The economy is going to recover, but it yeah. takes time to, to take those, 
quantitative quantitative easing measures out of the system. Right. And I've I've been saying that it was great. I had a Monday morning meeting back uh, on I think it was like March 10th or something, and I got people to show their hands. I'm like, so who remember, remembers me saying that uh, interest rates were going to go down before they go up? And of course, I've been saying this for like a year to them. And it only takes one person to remember to make it real. And literally one person goes, yep, I remember because everyone thought I was crazy. But right. that's, that's what's going to happen is we're going to have a significant amount of time where we're going to have really, really low interest rates. And it's probably going to be the next 20 years. Wow, man. So you wrote two books, uh, The Mortgage Millionaire. What was the second book? Golf Balls Don't Float, right? Yeah. The, actually, Golf Balls Don't Float was the first one. In, that was the first one. Yeah, right. Second one yep. was The Mortgage Millionaire. It turns out golf books are way more popular than mortgage <laughs> books. Uh, mortgage book sold just under 2,000 copies. Okay. Uh, golf Balls Don't Float has sold over 12,000. National bestseller in Canada is about 5,000. Wow, man. That's amazing. So what, what, was the, what was the premise behind, for, for people that don't know Nolan, like he's probably one of the smartest guys that I know. Um, he's one of the people- You don't hang, that, around, hang around with a lot of smart people, hey? I do actually. <laughs> well, no, I don't actually. You're probably the smartest. <laughs> uh, you know, well, my wife- You compliment says, and then you took it away. You know, well, I'll, I'll give you an even bigger compliment. compliment. Here's a big compliment. My wife, my, my wife knows all my friends. I know. What's that? Your wife is one of the most intelligent people I know. She is very yeah. intelligent. She is, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing, she's not here right now. She's out of Costco doing a shop, but um, I've got this, this journal that I'm keeping, keeping right now. It's a, uh, it's a spouse journal. And so in the journal, I am talking about how I'm grateful for her every single day. Mm-hmm. And so I'm putting that into a journal and I started that on April the 1st and I'm going to give it to her on her birthday on December the 12th. Amazing. So it's going to have all of these things about how I'm grateful for her. I'm going to put it into a nice book and I'm going to give it to her and she doesn't know about it. It's going to, everybody's going to cry. It's going to be great. I'm going to be like the greatest husband ever. That's the only reason why I'm doing it is to be the greatest husband ever. No, I'm kidding. That's but- out of the compound effect. It is the compound effect. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's exactly where I got it from. I was like, yes, I'm implementing this today. I yeah. read that. I'm like, fucking right. I'm going to put Jen and I have one. We write it back and forth to each other every exactly. morning at well, the coffee and machine. That's in, that's yeah. in the compound effect as well, right? Is having those conversations. And, mm-hmm. you know, especially during this time, I think it's really important that we lean into the relationships that are most important to us, especially mm-hmm. with our spouses, right? Mm-hmm. We've got such a great opportunity to really understand the craziness that, that, that we know and love, as well as understand the genius that we know and love, right? Mm-hmm. And understanding the craziness is way fucking harder. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it is like when, when she loses her mind about stuff being on the counter or the sink not being, you know, totally emptied or the, or the, the dishwasher or the kids being on the PS or the PlayStation or whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? Or me losing my mind about this, that, and the other thing, we've got to be able to appreciate the crazy in order to really fall in love totally. with the genius that's there. Right. So totally. let's, let's clip that too. I'll just, I'll give that to her birthday for, for her birthday as well. Like four or 5 PM. Okay. It's All so right. funny. Jen and I are like, we're picking fights with each other right now because it feels weird that we're not picking fights with each other. We've actually, right, yeah. <laughs> we've been, we've been mostly self-isolating t- since about March 10th. So we're on yeah. like day 26 or 27. Right. And we're literally, we're picking fights right now. Like she's just like going 13th in the background right now. Yeah. <laughs> pick a fight with me because it feels weird that we're not, but it's yeah. 
so amazing just being grateful for the fact that we have each other in this in this time and yeah man we haven't been fighting as a result yeah so golf balls don't float let's go back to that um what was the premise behind the book uh how did you get into writing books like what was it that prompted you to do that and what was the process behind it yeah um i had a buddy that wrote one i'm like if he can do it i can do it so i did it uh which is like my mo for doing i just like doing hard shit like doing the b corp thing that was just it seemed hard so i figured i'd do it um now it was very much aligned with our values and and it was one of the best things we ever did but it also seemed hard and to become the first one in north america that to me is like that's what drives me doing hard stuff so uh this is the golf balls don't float book and um i've read the mortgage millionaire the crazy thing is i haven't read the golf balls don't float oh really yeah crazy well i just don't have a copy of it oh i can get you one of those nudge nudge wink wink it's (laughs) (laughs) so like the irony of golf balls don't float is a lot of people use this as like their toilet reading because every chapter is like a page and a half to two pages if you kind of go through here they're all very short so a lot of people call it their toilet reading so it makes good toilet paper as well if you uh, run out but i'll have to make sure (laughs) and um and yeah, the whole premise behind that was two things. One, I, I helped a buddy write a book and got, went through the whole process of basically starting a bonafide publishing company that we still own um, and, and figured out that process. And this is back before like self-publishing was a cool thing to do and owning a publishing company was a cool thing to do. This is like 2006, 2007. And the second piece was I was a competitive junior golfer and I I blew my back out at 15 and I had all these lessons from golf that I thought were going to propel me to be a, you know, a professional golfer. And when I blew up my back, that was no longer reality. So I just decided to throw them all in a book. And that was the, that was what propelled that one. And it's funny, like the great thing about writing a book at 23 or 24 years old is you write the book and then I can go back and look at it today. And like, I can read a chapter of this and go, wow, that's really where my mind was at back in 2006. That's crazy. And then you see how you develop and whatnot. Right. It's like writing a journal basically. That you publish and that 12,000 people purchase. Yeah. yeah. And then use for toilet paper. Right. <laughs> Oh man, such an amazing story though, man. Your, your, your journey is just absolutely inspiring to me. Um, yep. Oh, look at this. She just so weird. She was like, she knows the timing. Hey, very good timing. (laughs) You know, it's, it's crazy because I've got somebody opening the door, knocking on the door, opening the door and then delivering it. And you're, Mm -hmm. you're pointing it out. Hey, your daughter is bringing you another beer, Mm -hmm. but you've got your wife kind of in the dining room area and she's just refilling your bourbon glass whenever you need to refill. Oh no, I've got the bottle. Oh, you got the bottle. <laughs> well, there that. you go. That's smart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Man. You grab the bottle, not the, uh, <laughs> not a glass. Yeah, no. So we, I mean, we, you know, we, when I, when I joined that company, um, you know, you and I kind of lost touch and didn't speak for a few years and it, it, it wasn't, I don't think it was necessarily, at least on my end, it wasn't really by design. It, it probably happened because it just happened because I was maybe embarrassed about some of the shit that happened there. Um, you know, um, 
I, I really honestly don't know why we lost touch. I, what I'm, what I'm really thankful for is that we came back together mm-hmm. and uh, you know, the fact that you guys were out in Fairmont last summer and, and, you know, I, I, it was by chance that I found that out because Janet had posted a picture of the green carpet in your guys's unit. I'm like, Holy shit, they're out here. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you and I bump into each other at the pool. So yeah. Anyway, I, I'm, I'm really grateful for the fact that we've come back together. The, this podcast has been amazing. Um, you know, you're just a wealth of knowledge, my friend, and, and the amount of, of information that you have to share your experience in such a short amount of time. Like how old are you now? Like 30, what, 35? 37. 37. Yeah. The amount of life experience that you have. It used um, to be a cool number when I got to say like 27 and I was doing cool shit. Now it's 37 and it's like, eh, yeah. 37, but you're still doing cool shit, man. Like you really are like, you, you, you know, the, the way that you guys are operating your business, the fact that you've been able to, you know, increase your, your revenue stream by 40%. And I mean, it's just, it really is. It's inspiring. I think anybody that, that is listening to this podcast right now can take, there's just, we're not going to lay it out. Like the, the whole idea around this, around podcasting is not to lay out a step-by-step, right? Like you're going to fucking listen to this and either you're going to get shit from it or you're not. If you're not going to get anything from it, then fuck off, go get onto a different podcast and maybe you'll learn something over there. Mm-hmm. Right. But I, we're not going to sit down and lay it out for you. At the end of the day, we're going to talk about your experience and my experience and either it resonates or it doesn't. And at some point you're probably going to wind up in the same type of scenario or the same position. And hopefully the podcast that you listen to, you're going to, it's going to snap in the back of your head and go, Holy shit. I remember I listened to that. Maybe I should act differently this time, or maybe I should act differently based on what I've heard based on the experience. Not saying that my experience is right or wrong or your experience is right or wrong, but you know, at the end of the day, the, the, the goal for this podcast is just to, you know, bring real conversations into the the vernacular. Like I just want to have conversations with dudes like you, with, with people like Matt Leonetti, Leonetti and, and uh, Ben Fairfield and, and just bring stuff into the forefront and talk about shit that people aren't talking about right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so this here, been, here's the, here's the deal. I'm, I'm yeah. going to let you decide right now whether you want to cut the cut the podcast off there or we can go a step further and I don't have anywhere to go. You don't have anywhere to go. And let's talk about that time where, you know, without getting into detail and, and, and talking names and everything else, you know, let's talk about what actually happened there because here's my perception of what happened. And, you know, I'll, I'll lay this out for you and then you can take it where you want to take it. But here's my perception of what happened. And this, Sometimes in life, there are things that pop up in the universe that are just designed to fuck with you. Um, you know, like, for example, there's, you know, my buddy, uh, my buddy who has Fiasco Gelato right now, there's a company in the States called Gelato Fiasco and Gelato Fiasco comes to him and goes, hey, we want to sell to you because we took on way too much debt and you should probably buy us because we've got the same name and then you can come into the States. And, you know, another buddy of ours says to him, like, literally you're on this growth trajectory. You've got a company that's coming to you and saying, Hey, buy us. It's because they've got this ridiculous amount of debt and they can't survive. And as a result, um, you've got this scenario where, you know, this is the thing that can throw this upward, upward trajectory off track. 
and you know you never become what you could have become because you you basically get distracted and i think there's a lot of times in real estate where you get these big personalities who do a ton of sales and do a ton of real estate and and as a real estate agent or a mortgage broker you kind of get sucked into their vortex and i think that's what i think that's what happened in our scenario is you know i think there was this vortex and we just kind of got wound up and you know they had their the company you went and worked for owned their own mortgage brokerage and it was one of those scenarios where well i have to honor that uh honor that organization and and deal with that organization but really the people who are going to take the best care of my clients were over here but i was kind of caught between those two things and you know i'll i'll let you kind of give your description of of what you think happened but i think at the end of the day you know had we just stuck to our guns and stuck to the relationships that were really important to us and said these are the non-negotiables for me like those are relationships that really really matter these are the non-negotiables uh, we would have continued on doing what we we're doing and we wouldn't have had to have those two or three years now that being said those two or three years were transformative for me they were transformative for you and the lessons we learn by following those opportunities are something that you can never give up, but that's what they are is their lessons. And, you know, I'd like to hear your thought on that without going into detail and, and, you know, and naming names, like what was your experience with the lessons you learned in those, in those, you know, couple of years where you got to try something that ultimately maybe didn't work, but, um, that also pulled you in a different direction than what you otherwise would have done. Well, you know, first of all, thank you for saying all of that. I appreciate it. I mean, <clears throat> you know, at the end of the day, I had, I had goals, um, in mind, like anybody that's driven, I mean, you're going to have goals, you're going to want to accomplish things. Right. Mm -hmm. So my goal at the beginning of this career was to, you know, just sell a bunch of homes and service a bunch of clients and make a bunch of money. Um, and then it got to a point where I was selling a lot of homes and I needed help and decided to build a team, right? And came about it from a completely different direction, wrong way. Um, wound up hiring a coach, discovered that it was the wrong way to go and, and completely retooled the entire philosophy of the team. Again, like you, fired people, hired people, um, went in a completely new different direction. You know, with starting a team, and going through the branding process, the whole idea of having my own brokerage was very real mm -hmm. at that point. And, um, you know, I had goals back in 2014. By 2019, I'd have my own brokerage, like Up Real Estate Group would be a brokerage. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I was presented with an opportunity after going to a couple of conferences um, to, you know, accelerate that, that, you know, that idea that I would have a brokerage before 2019, like four years early. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I really kind of, I, I didn't, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to um, sit here and say it was a mistake because it wasn't. Um, of course it wasn't. It, it wasn't. I got a university education in how, fuck it. I'm just going to say it, how not to run a brokerage in yep. four years, right? How not to treat people in mm -hmm. four years. That's, that's what I learned. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, you can hold me to it. I'm totally fine with that because I will stand by it a hundred times over a hundred. Mm -hmm. um, I learned the right way 
to treat people, to treat salespeople, to treat employees, to treat our partners. And, um, and that was by, you know, Eminem, Eminem, one of my favorite rappers, favorite artists, hmm. he, he said in many, many songs, many, many raps, you know, it was talking about his father and it was like, you taught me what not to do. Right. That was one of the lines in one of his songs early on, early on in his early, early albums. And this is exactly the same sort of, same sort of, same sort of scenario. I learned what not to do. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, when I exited that, that scenario or that position, it, it, I came out of it a better person. I had a conversation with a mentor of mine and, um, you know, I, I was complaining to him and I said, you know, uh, I really feel like I, I altered my values and, and uh, he stopped me short and he said, listen, you didn't alter your, he, he, he's like, the values didn't change. Mm-hmm. He goes, you altered your values to match theirs so that you could accelerate the, the goals that you had. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Right. And so in doing that, I wound up forgetting about, or um, maybe putting aside the relationships that I had built over four or five or six years because I was now a partner in a brokerage, a partner in a real estate or in a mortgage brokerage company. Right. Um, and you know, we, full disclosure, we, you know, one of the, one of your mortgage brokers came across to our mortgage brokerage. Right. And, um, we were having conversations with them and you called me on it and I bullshitted you. And you were like, Kelly, the last thing I want you to do, I'll never forget this. You were like, Kelly, the last thing I want from you is for you to bullshit me. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to lie to me. Just mm-hmm. fucking tell me straight. Mm-hmm. Right. And I didn't, and I didn't have the courage to tell you straight. And that's an interesting point because if you would have told me straight, what you would have realized was that the guy was doing horrible business. Right. And we don't have and there to was a reason why you let him go. It wasn't that he was looking for another place to land. It was because you let yeah. him go. And then he was looking for another place to land. Yeah. And what had happened was you guys had had conversations. And during the time that you were having the conversations, he did something that, you know, cost the cost a client. It was a, it was a $13,000 check. I know it was a $13,000 right. check. Cause I wrote it you wrote because it, yeah. it was my brand that was uh, behind it. And then we fired him as a result of what he did. And then 10 days later, you know, and this is a, this is a lesson about due diligence. If you own a mortgage brokerage or a real estate company is if you've got somebody who's been without a license for 10 days, like you can do a RECA license search and say, Hey, what's, what's his status? Oh, he doesn't have a license at the moment. Why doesn't he have a license? Like there was a question there. And, and, you know, if you'd been, if you guys had been straight with us and just said, Hey, we're talking to him and, and um, what do you think? It it might've been a completely different scenario. And my understanding is that, uh, again, without naming names, is that he kind of left the same sort of mess with that the brokerage that he moved to that yeah. he left with us when he when he left. So it's kind of oh, and by the way, yeah, I won't get into yeah. So we'll, we'll get, we'll, went, we but. won't go get too deep into it, but yeah, I mean our our experiences going back and you know going back to that time, two thousand and fifteen, um, two thousand and sixteen. I mean, they're the same. I mean, I, I just didn't, if I'm sitting here and owning it, which I am and which I've done, you know, with you privately, um, was that I, I just didn't have the courage to say like, listen, I, 
you know, I'm at the direction of these guys. They want to go in this direction. Yes, we've had conversations with him. Yes, we were trying to recruit him. Yes, we want him. You know, had I listened to what you were saying back then, you know, man, there wasn't anything. It, it didn't matter. It wasn't you. It wasn't, it, it wasn't just you. It was my wife. It was my entire family. Mm. Right. My family was telling me, Hey, maybe you should really rethink what you're doing. Mm. And this was ongoing for like three and a half years. And then there was a catalyst at one point that it was like, fuck, like they were right. Mm -hmm. They were right. You know, and again, without getting into too much detail and naming names, you know, they were absolutely right. And yeah. now watching what's happening right now, they were absolutely right. And I was, I was right to, to do the things that I did. Um, when I did them, I, I probably looking back on it now, I probably should have done it sooner. But again, you know, I gained a learner, uh, I gained a university education yeah. on, you know, brokerage operations, administration, um, you know, the human element. I mean, I, I'm not going to trade that for anything because I, ultimately, I gained, I gained so much more than I lost. Totally. And ultimately it wasn't, that you did anything wrong it's and i think the lesson here and why i brought it up is because it's that shiny ball syndrome it's like that right. if it's too good to be true it probably is and this was a scenario where it was too good to be true and it was and yeah. you know how do you move how do you move on from that well you take the lessons like you're doing and mm -hmm. like you've done and you know the the, the big thing here that i want to get across to people is if for Whenever you're faced with a decision, you know, or an opportunity, definitely, you know, take that opportunity and run with it, but never put it ahead of the relationships that you have. And luckily enough, you know, I knew enough about Kelly that I knew that it was going to be a temporary thing. I remember saying to you, you know, when are you going to do your own thing on multiple occasions? Because multiple times, ultimately yeah. what Kelly's going to do is, is he's going to do his own thing. Right. But you know, as long as anytime there's this, this shiny ball that takes you away from the relationships that you have and, and, you know, pushes you in a different direction, that's usually a sign that, you know, that it's not the right decision. And, and, you know, being a B Corp, being, being this company whose third core value is heart sets apart which is the one I couldn't remember. Right. Yeah. Um, right on. You know, the, the lesson here is that no matter what you do, always make sure that the decisions you make keep the relationships you have in mind. Right. And I think when you talk about, you know, people seeing it, everyone seeing it, but you, I think what everyone saw was that the you're a relationship person and you were, chasing a relationship with one entity and, and giving up on the relationships you had. And right. what I think ended up happening is the relationships you had, and forget what I think ended up happening. What I know ended up happening was all the people that really cared about you, myself, the Lindsay Smiths of the world, um, Lindsay being the owner of CIR, where you're a broker at now, mm -hmm. we were all there for you when you were ready. Right? right. And we'll always be there. And that's how you really know, which relationships matter in, in, in friendship and in business is when you kind of go down that road and then, you know, when everything all settles out and those people are still there, that's how you know that they were legit. And that's how you know right. that you're on the right track and you're on the right track with where you're going right now with coaching, with doing the podcast, 
and with going and building your own thing again. And I'm so honored and, and just hugely thankful that I get to be a part of that. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Well, since how you're pumping my tires, let's end it right there. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, listen, I want you to stick around. Um, you know, I want to talk to you after we're done and uh, we're just, we'll end it right there. Cheers, my friend. It's Cheers. been a trip. This has been uh, Absolutely. My, my funnest podcast probably uh, because I get mm-hmm. to drink during it. So, you know, that was the other thing with the other podcasts is I, you know, I usually shoot it at the office. I wouldn't have any beers or, you know, whatever. This is, I'm just, it's my podcast. I'm going to do what the hell I want with it. So it's, we're going to have fun. Nolan, tell us where we can find you. Facebook, Instagram, you know, uh, how can we download a copy of the mortgage millionaire and, and golf balls don't float for, uh, you know, toilet reading and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So mortgage millionaires available on Amazon. Golf balls don't float is available on Amazon. Um, YouTube, Nolan Matthias, we're starting to do some videos on there, which are, yeah, are pretty compelling. Uh, major ones, Mortgage360 on pretty much everything. So Mortgage360 on Facebook, Instagram, and on, uh, not on YouTube anymore because I switched out to the Nolan Matthias account yesterday, but, That's right. uh, and Mortgage360.ca. And, you know, if, by the way, you are looking for, uh, to make a purchase and you aren't sure what company to purchase it from, and you can find a B Corp to do it whether it's Fiasco Gelato or, you know, Patagonia for outdoor wear or whatever, highly right. encourage uh, people to go and, and look at that B Corp directory, just Google it. And, you know, you can find some pretty freaking amazing companies that are awesome. doing good in their hood there. Amazing. That's cool. great, brother. Thank you so much for your time today, man. I, I really do appreciate it. You bet. My pleasure. Appreciate you. All right. We'll leave it there and uh, we'll talk to you all soon. Take care.